this week on Hope for the Broken. We all come with a variety of backgrounds, a variety of experiences, a variety of church training on this issue of the Holy Spirit. But if I'm honest, I have a tendency to neglect the Holy Spirit. Did you know we can grieve the Holy Spirit? We can neglect the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, it is to our own detriment. The Holy Spirit is an incredible gift to us. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we wrap up our series called Real Questions, Biblical Answers. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part eight, titled... What is the role of the Holy Spirit? Listen, today we are ending, we're putting a bow on our sermon series that we have entitled Real Questions, Biblical Answers. And we took the summer to field some questions from those of you that attended throughout the summer. And it is my goal and my heart to have answered those questions to the best of my ability. But let me tell you the reason why we would do a series like this. Uh, The reason is to show you and to show the world that no matter what the question is, whether it is theological in nature or whether it is facing society and culture, there is a biblical answer. The Holy Scriptures are relevant and they speak truth and they will always speak truth. And so no matter what the question is, no matter what the issue is at hand, no matter what question you are wrestling with personally, the Scripture ought to be your place of informant. The scripture is truth. And so that's the whole point of this. Let's, let's continue to drive ourselves to the holy word of God. Today we're answering the question, what is the role of the Holy Spirit? That was a question that was submitted. And there's lots of questions surrounding the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so it is my goal to answer that question here today by answering a few different questions. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do? And what, how, what effect does that have on our lives today? And so we're going to seek to the scriptures to find that answer. This week I was reading about two men that found themselves at the foot of Niagara Falls. How many of you, by a show of hands, you've been to Niagara Falls? You've seen it? Okay. Uh, that is on the bucket list for me. And I've heard it's more beautiful on the Canadian side than it is on the U.S. side. Uh, but, uh, but man, I am excited. Did, did we have a whoop whoop over there? The, the, yes, our fellow Canadians are whooping over there. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, I, that is on my bucket list. But these two men were standing at the foot of the falls watching this mighty rush of water just fall over this cliff. And, and one of them turned to the other, who is a local, and he says, you know, that right there, is the most unused source of power in the universe. To which the other one turned to him and said, I got to disagree with you. I think the Holy Spirit of God is the most unused power in all of the universe. And you know, there's some truth to that. 
I think as me growing up, I was a good little Baptist boy, and I grew up in a church where you could tap one foot to the music, but if you start tapping two of them, well, then you're dancing, and we can't have that, right? Anybody relate to that kind of upbringing, okay? Um, so, so that was my experience, right? And then my friend, Jeremy Larson, every time I would spend the night at Jeremy Larson's house well, on Saturday night, well, we would go to his church on Sunday morning. He went to a different kind of church, right? And when you go to his church, not only was there dancing, but they would shout at the preacher during uh, service. And I'm sitting there going, what is going on around here, right? And so we all come, my point is, we all come with a variety of backgrounds, a variety of experiences, a a variety of church uh, training on this issue of the Holy Spirit. But if I'm honest, I have a tendency to neglect the Holy Spirit because of my upbringing, because of my experience, I have a tendency to neglect that. In fact, Francis Chan, pastor and author, wrote a book called The Forgotten God, reversing the neglect of the Holy Spirit of God. And there's some truth there. We can neglect. Did you know we can grieve the Holy Spirit? We can neglect the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, it is to our own detriment. The Holy Spirit is an incredible gift to us as we're going to see in just a moment. So I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to two places in the Gospel of John. We're going to look at John chapter 14 and John chapter 16. And if we're going to answer the question, what is the role of the Holy Spirit, I think it would be extremely important for us to go straight to Jesus himself. In these two chapters is Jesus' teaching on what the Holy Spirit is, what he does, and the effect that that has upon our lives. And so that's where we're going to be here this morning. Let's first answer the question, who is the Holy Spirit? Few things Jesus says in particular. First, Jesus, what we're going to see is that Jesus says the Holy Spirit is a divine person. The Holy Spirit is a divine person. And I want to show you several different references in both of these chapters. First in John 14, verse 17. Jesus says, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then in verse 26, it says, he will teach you. And then in chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus says, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world. And then uh, verse uh, 13, it says, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you. And then verse 14 says, he will glorify you me. What we see here is in both of these passages, Jesus refers to the, same, uh, to the Holy Spirit much in the same way that he refers to God the Father. He personifies him. He calls him he. And the personification of the Holy Spirit leads us to understand that the Holy Spirit is a divine person. This is extremely important because when I say that he is a person, what I'm trying to illustrate is that the Holy Spirit is not a impersonable force. How many of you are Star Wars fans in the room? Okay, all right. Several of you, all right. Uh, a few of you, hold strong, right? Uh, but, but you hear, you hear in, the, in Star Wars, you hear this phrase, may the force be with you, right? And what does the force do in Star Wars? It, it enables both Jedis and those on the dark side to do superhuman things, right? To, to perform superhuman things, like move things without touching them and all that good kind of stuff. A lot of times, I think people view the Holy Spirit as some sort of force like that. You know, like you, you do superhuman things with. That is not the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person, right? And he indwells uh, the believer. 
And so it's important to understand that. The second thing that Jesus teaches with regard to the Holy Spirit is that not only is he a person, but he is God. Uh, while the Bible never uses the term Trinity, you could church, search the entire scriptures, you're never going to find the word Trinity. There's obviously Trinitarian teaching all throughout the scriptures. And, and, and so this is a concept that is often difficult for non-believers and believers alike to wrap our heads around. It, it is difficult for us to understand that God exists, one God, in three persons. Right? This is the concept of the Trinity. But let me give you a couple of examples where Scripture teaches Trinitarian theology in regards to there being a Trinity, God existing in, in, in uh, Trinity. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So you see the, the plurality within the unity there, right? And then again in John chapter 14, which is one of our uh, passages of study, verse 23 is another example. It says, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Plurality within singularity again, like in Genesis chapter 1. The concept of the Trinity, when I say the theology of the Trinity, the doctrine of God, is that God exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And while these are distinct persons, they are one God, co-equal and co-eternal. But the truth be told, we often view the Godhead much like we view high school athletics, right? We think, well, God the Father, that's varsity, right? And then Jesus is JV, and the Holy Spirit, well, he's the freshman team, right? And we, we tend to separate this in our viewpoint, right? But that's not the way Scripture presents it. It is one God existing in three persons, yet all co-equal, co-eternal, and God. It is the same teaching when it comes to the deity of Jesus. Jesus is not like God. He is not a God. Jesus is God. The same is true with the Holy Spirit. He is not a God. He is not like God. He is God. And this is the teaching of the Trinity. So in answering the question, who is the Holy Spirit, we have to see that he is a divine person, and we have to see that he is God. But there's another thing that Jesus says about the Holy Spirit and who he is. He says that he is a helper. The Holy Spirit is a helper. Jesus says in multiple places uh, that, that he is a helper, an advocate. Look again at the passage, John 14, verse 16. Jesus says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Now, that's, that's my translation uh, that says helper. Now, I noticed something about the word helper. Helper is capitalized. It's because it's referring to a specific person, and that person being the Holy Spirit. Skip to verse 26, and Jesus identifies the helper. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send. And then flip over to verse, chapter 16, verse 7. It says, it is to your advantage, Jesus says, that he goes away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. What does it mean that the Holy Spirit is a helper? Well, the word translated as helper in the original language is parakletos. And this word is often translated as comforter or helper. But this is what the word means. It means one who is called alongside to help. Guess what? You and I, we need help navigating this life. It gets hard 
at times going through life. We have many different decisions that are facing us. We have things that we have to deal with and we have to walk through because we live in the the effects of a very broken world. And guess what? God says, I see you. I see you need help. And I have provided not only help, I've provided the helper. And so God has blessed us in, in providing us with the very presence of himself in the Holy Spirit. One, to, one way to look at this, you know, David talked about that God is a very present help in times of trouble. It's this idea of understanding that, that there is the very presence of God with us. That is the Holy Spirit. He is our helper. One of the things that is very near and dear to our heart as a church is foster care. We have many families that are foster families, and they do the very hard work of the gospel in that vein. And, and so foster and adoption is very near and dear to our hearts as a church. In fact, we support uh, foster agencies. And so when you give to Trinity, a portion of what you give goes to help that kind of work. And we believe that wholeheartedly in it. Well, in the foster world, if you're in the foster world, you know what a CASA worker is, right? It's a court-appointed special advocate, right? And that CASA worker is committed to the benefit of the child in foster care. And, and when you go to court, you know who the judge listens to? He listens to that advocate. And that advocate speaks what that advocate believes is best for that child. Well, in the same way, the Holy Spirit is our helper. He is our advocate, He is petitioning God on behalf of us. So he is a divine person, he is God, and he is help. That's who the Holy Spirit is. Now, the second question that we need to answer today is this. What does the Holy Spirit do? What is the function of the Holy Spirit of God? Well, Jesus teaches us that still in these same verses. He says first that the Holy Spirit's job is to convict people of sin. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. In chapter 16, verse 8, Jesus says, And when he comes, when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. In other words, it is the Holy Spirit's job to convince someone that they are a sinner. Whenever you have that deep-seated conviction that something you are doing is sinful, that is when the Holy Spirit is doing his job. He is convicting us of sin. But his beginning work and the convicting, convicting of sin begins with the non-believer. He convicts the non-believer that they are a sinner. Why is that important? Because when the Holy Spirit reveals to us that we are sinful, we realize that we need a Savior. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does. He says, hey, you need a Savior. And Jesus says, in verse 9, he says, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. So when the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, causing us to realize we need a Savior, the Holy Spirit ultimately points the person back to Jesus and the finished work of the cross. Does this make sense to you guys? This is what the Holy Spirit does. This is his first job. The second thing that the Holy Spirit does is that the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. That means that the Holy Spirit takes up residence within someone who professes Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. Notice what Jesus says, John chapter 14, verses 17 and then 23. Jesus says, you know him. Now, who's the you? 
Remember who he's talking to. Talking to disciples, people who believe and trust in Jesus as Lord. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Verse 23, and Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, what is that? That's a disciple. That's someone yielding their life to Christ. He will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus is saying that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is reserved for those who have surrendered to Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their life. That's what, ha- what the Holy Spirit does. Now the question then becomes, when does the Holy Spirit indwell the believer? And this is a good question because there is confusion throughout Christendom uh, as to when this takes place. There would be those that would suggest that somehow the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a separate event that is stands separate from your salvation. And so is that the case? When, the whole, when, when does the Holy Spirit dwell within you? I believe that the Bible supports, the Bible teaches that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit occurs at the moment of your salvation. That it is not a separate event that is uniquely tied to How do you know that? Well, let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, that speaks very clearly to this. It says, in him, meaning in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, that is the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in him, that's when you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It ties the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, with salvation. Then again, in chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 5, Paul continues the idea where he says, there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. In other words, there is not a separate baptism of the Holy Spirit from what I can find and evidenced in the pages of Scripture. Now, there will some that will argue, well, what about Pentecost? Right? There was an obvious coming, an obvious indwelling of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Yes, but Jesus says that when he ascended into heaven, it's when the Holy Spirit would come. And that ascension into heaven predicated or preceded by the coming of the Holy Spirit was what we know as Pentecost. And from that moment on, I believe the scripture teaches that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit occurs at the moment when someone truly yields their life to Jesus. So when you are saved, if you are saved, you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. Does that make sense? So you are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit convicts people of sin. He indwells the believer. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit guides the believer. When we talk about what he does, the Holy Spirit guides us. And there's a very specific way by which the Holy Spirit guides us. John chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus says, when the Spirit of truth comes, when the Holy Spirit indwells you, he will guide you into all the truth. One way that the Holy Spirit guides us is by illuminating Scripture. Have you ever read a passage that was very familiar to you? Only to open it up and say, I never thought of that before. I I didn't realize it said that. I've read this a million times, and I've just now seen this particular aspect. You know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit doing His job. He illuminates the truth of the Scriptures. He guides us in the truth of the Scriptures. One of the things that is so unfortunate in the lives of the believers is when we neglect spending time in God's Word. Because to neglect spending time in God's Word, and I'm guilty of that, but to neglect spending time in God's Word is to neglect the guidance of the Holy Spirit. 
If you truly want illumination from God, if you truly want to sense leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life, you've got to spend time in God's Word. Why? Because He guides us in all the truth. Where is truth? Truth is in in God's Word. Another way the Holy Spirit guides is by prompting us. Have you ever had the Holy Spirit prompt you to do something? Often, let me tell you what this looks like in my life. Often, the the prompting of the Holy Spirit looks like God laying someone or some situation on my heart, almost in a, in a heaviness. Right? There will be, sometimes when I wake up, one of your faces will come to my mind as I'm taking a shower. I know that's troubling for some of you, um, but it's true. And, and you know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit laying you on my heart. And most of the time, whenever I have someone laid on my heart, you know what I do? I pick up the phone and I'll, I'll give them a call. And nine times out of 10, that is not made up, probably 9.8 times out of 10, whenever I call and say, man, the Lord laid laid you on my heart this morning. Is there any way I could be praying for you? Yes, I know exactly why the Lord laid me on your heart. And can you pray for me for da-da-da-da-da-da-da? That's the prompting of the Holy Spirit. But I would also tell you this, we are humans, and some of the promptings that we have are not the prompting of the Holy Spirit, but rather the effects of a bad burrito. How can you tell the difference? How can you know if something is from God and something is from not God? Very easy answer. What does Jesus say? That's that's my answer for everything. By the way, if you ever ask me a question, I'll ask it back to you. Well, what does Jesus say? And so what does Jesus say about that? He says, well, he will guide you into all the truth. In other words... God will only, the Holy Spirit would only guide you in what correlates and is confirmed within the pages of Scripture. So if you're scrolling through social media and somebody posts something that you're like, oh, they are so wrong, right? And and you have that prompting to set them right. Can I tell you that's not of the Holy Spirit? That's not? You say, well, how do you know that that's not of the Holy Spirit? They need to be told what's right. Well, Okay, in the right context, in the, in the spirit of love, but the Holy Spirit would guide you in the truth. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Listen, one way that you'll find a difference in whether or not it's the prompting of the Holy Spirit is are you speaking grace or are you speaking hate? That's the difference. Speak grace. The Holy Spirit is active in the believer in that he serves as a guide. Now there's so much more we could say here, but you guys want to go to lunch, okay? And I, and I understand that. And so we're going to expound on that in, in, in a sermon in our next series, so I'll leave it for that. But we've talked about who the Holy Spirit is. We've talked about a little bit about what the Holy Spirit does, but I want to turn our attention in the time we have left to the question, how does the Holy Spirit affect our lives? Uh, Two quick things that I would say to answer that question. Number one, the Holy Spirit gives us power to live godly lives. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is what gives you and I the ability to live a godly life. Galatians chapter 5 verses 16 and 17 illustrates this fact. Paul says, but I say walk by the Spirit. In other words, walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Listen, if it's left up to us, you and I, the only thing that we know to do is sin. Our hearts are wretched. My heart is wretched, and I will sin. That is my tendency. But under the guidance of the power of the Holy Spirit, then and only then do I have the ability to live a godly life. You can't willpower yourself here. You have to rely upon a strength that is not of yourself, that is not of the flesh, but rather of the Spirit. So when we live according to the Spirit, we will live godly lives. The second thing that I want to talk to you about with regards to how the Holy Spirit affects our lives is that we are given spiritual gifts. When the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life, in your soul, in your heart, He brings with Him spiritual gifts. In fact, one of the things I love to say to new believers is this, congratulations, you're gifted. You have at least one gift if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. I would say that probably most of us have more than one gift. You have been gifted by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, these gifts are not to be confused with talents. Talents is something that you can conduct in your own ability. Spiritual gift is something that can only be done through the power of God at work and through your life. So we are not to confuse talent from spiritual gifting. Now, sometimes our spiritual gifting correlates with our talents, but they're not in and of the same thing. For example, you might be a very talented vocal performer, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're called to be a worship leader, right? You may be called to utilize that talent to glorify God, but there's a difference between talent and spiritual giftings. Does this make sense to you guys? We often confuse the two. Now, there are a couple of things that I think is important to understand about these spiritual gifts. The first thing is to know the biblical list of gifts. There are three kinds of spiritual gifts, three types of spiritual gifts mentioned in the Bible. There are ministry gifts, there are manifestation gifts, and there are motivational gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 says this, To each is given the manifestation, that is the gifting, of the Spirit for the common good. There are three main places in the New Testament that Paul lists out what these spiritual gifts are. Those passages are Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Ephesians chapter 4. Now, there are some other gifts that are arguably mentioned throughout the other pages in the New Testament, but those are the three main places that the New Testament lists out the gifts that are spiritual. And in that list of Paul's include hospitality, mercy, serving, generosity, exhortation, evangelism, leadership, vision, faith, prophecy, prayer, as well as some of the sign gifts like healing and the speaking in tongues. Now, here's what I want to tell you. I believe that these, this list is a comprehensive list. That what I mean by that is that there is no gift, spiritual gift, outside of that which is listed in the totality of the Scriptures. If somebody comes to you and says that they have a gift that is not mentioned in the pages of the Scripture, I do not believe that that is a spiritual gift. I think the Scriptures have illuminated to us the totality of spiritual giftings. So it's important. I remember one time I had someone tell me that they had the gift of hot hands. 
Like if their hands were warm and they touched you, then they were in the spirit. And you better listen to what they were going to say to you because what they were about to say is from God. Spirit, hot hands. I don't see it anywhere, right? And so this is a practical way to say, no, if it's in the scripture, then it is a spiritual gift. Now, the second thing that I want to mention in regards to the spiritual gift is the often debated charismatic gifts, the charismata as it is referred to in Scripture. These are the sign gifts, what are called the sign gifts. They are healing, speaking in tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. Now, when it comes to the application of these specific sign gifts, there are two main camps, right? The first camp is what is known as secessionist. These are people that believe that these sign gifts have ceased. It comes from that word to cease, And the argument is is that that these sign gifts ended with the apostolic age. That it was only necessary to have those gifts operational to lend credence to what the apostles were writing so that we would know that they were evidence as words of God. And so secessionists would say that the charismata aren't seen after the book of Acts, and so this is where they cease to operate and they're no longer needed. The other camp that often approaches this are what are called the sensationalists. Sensationalists believe that the whole point of believing is to experience a miracle. They live their whole lives hanging on some kind of miraculous. And this camp is known to sensationalize the sign gifts to the point of only focusing on them. And they come to the conclusion that if there's not any phenomenon happening, not anything strange, not anything miraculous, then God just isn't there. But that's not the case, right? We know that God is always at work. So you might say, well, Chris, which camp are you in? Are you a secessionist or are you a sensationalist? I would say I'm neither. I don't like labels. I don't know if you guys like labels or not, but I know that God hates labels. What happens when you put God in a box and you say, God, you can only operate in this this way? What's he going to do? He's going to kick out the box, right? He's going to show you what he can do, right? And so never put God in a box. But here's the deal. The Holy Spirit will always work in a way that glorifies Jesus. John chapter 16, verse 14. This is not my words. It's Jesus' word. It says, he, being the Holy Spirit, will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying that the work of the Holy Spirit will always glorify him. Listen, do I believe that God still heals? Yes, I do. But it's not to glorify the healing. It's to glorify the healer. You see the difference. The sensationalists will say, no, it's all about the healing. right? No, it's all about the healer. It's all about Jesus. Whatever God does, however the Holy Spirit works, will always be to the edification of the church and to the glory of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's how you can know if it's a true manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So here's my rule of thumb with regards to spiritual gifts. The application of spiritual gifts are solely for the edification of the church and the pointing of others to Jesus. That is the only use for spiritual gifts. They are not to be for personal gain. I know people who have utilized their spiritual giftings for personal gain. And I'm telling you, this is 
this is my word, not Jesus' words, but maybe it is Jesus' words, they have received the reward. Okay? The, whole, the spiritual gifts are for the purpose of glorifying Jesus, for the edification of the church. And by the way, certain gifts doesn't make one more spiritual than the other. They're all spiritual gifts. And you know, it is human nature. It is human nature to get sidetracked here. Uh, you want to read about a church that is messed up, read 1 Corinthians. It'll make you feel better about Trinity, I promise you that. I know we're not a perfect church. Church in Corinth was jacked up, all right? So, uh, and one of the reasons why Paul wrote that is because they were, they were abusing the spiritual gifts. And he's trying to tell you, no, 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 get back on track here. You know what else they were doing? They were abusing the Lord's Supper. I mean, they were really wayward. And Paul said, no, 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 let's get back on track. It's all about Jesus. All about Jesus. Glorify Jesus. Honor Jesus. So we see the biblical list of gifts. We've examined the charismatic gifts. The last thing that I want to challenge us with is in using your gifts. If you are a child of God, and if the Holy Spirit has indwelled you, then you have a spiritual gift. And you are given that gift for a very specific purpose, to use it not to keep it to yourself. And by the way, I believe that there's a very specific purpose behind the utilization of your gift. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Why will you receive power? What, for what purpose? He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. What Jesus is saying is that when the indwelling of the Holy Spirit occurs, you are empowered, but you're empowered for a very specific reason. We are empowered by our spiritual gifts and the presence of the Spirit in our lives. And what we are are empowered to do is to be witnesses for Jesus, to share the gospel, to advance the kingdom. Listen, we have the Spirit of God. We have been given the gifts of the Spirit in order to point others to the Son of God. We have been given the Spirit of God in order to point other people to the Son of God. How are you utilizing your gift? How am I utilizing my spiritual gifts in pointing others to Jesus? That's the real question. I came across an illustration that really hit home with me this week. And what it did is it took the number of known people in the world that we know to be lost. People we know to be without Jesus. And it took the average width of a human's shoulders and did some calculations. If we were to take every person that is lost apart from Jesus and stand them shoulder to shoulder across the equator, it would wrap around the earth 30 times. That's a lot of lost people. But here's the even more alarming news. That line grows 20 miles every single day. Listen, there are a lot of ills in our world. It is a messed up place. Brokenness can be seen everywhere you look. And we have formulated strategic think tanks in order to eradicate the world's problems. 
But can I tell you something? There's only one answer. And his name is Jesus. And what this world needs is not another think tank. What our community needs is not a political change. What our world needs is the people of God empowered by the Spirit of God to point people to the Son of God. You have been gifted, beloved. I have been gifted. And we have the answer. And we are empowered to be able to show the world that answer. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 930 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.